Today, I talk to Andrew Samuels. Andrew Samuels is the founder and CEO of Whistleport and is widely recognized as a thought leader in whistleblowing operations. He has been actively involved since 2016 as a subject matter expert to the British Standards Institute on whistleblowing and has represented BSI to the International Standards Organization, the ISO, for ISO 37002 the international standard for whistleblowing management systems since 2017, for which he has played a key role in the development of this global standard. Prior to founding Whistleport, Andrew has over 20 years of experience delivering complex programs in the financial services, telecom and media sectors in the UK, North America and Asia-Pacific, with the last decade specializing in regulatory and compliance programs, including whistleblowing, anti-money laundering and financial crime. As always, when I talk to my guests, I'm interested in what is not obvious and maybe not even written in the curriculum. I want to learn more about the person who impacts corporate integrity. Let us learn from Andrew and his experience when it comes to corporate integrity and compliance in his field of expertise with global countries and especially whistleblowing processes. I'm glad to have you all here spending the next minutes together with Andrew and me. integrity, fraud, non-compliance, and cybersecurity. Would you like to understand the root causes, detect threats, and take measurements to protect the most precious assets? As a leader, you need to be prepared and stay actionable in the event of an incident. Sonia Sternemann talks in her podcast, The Human Factor, Corporate Integrity Matters. To leaders and entrepreneurs who want to have impact, foster corporate integrity, and act as role models. As an international expert for corporate governance and integrity, entrepreneur, and independent board member, she knows the challenges. Let her inspire you. So, Andrew, witnessing what you're doing in the environment of whistleblowing is very impressive. So thank you very much for being here with us today. And as you know, I'm always interested in the people behind doing that. And that's you. I would like to focus on you and your passion. That's what we already discussed in advance. And not only me, but also our listeners are very, very curious what you can share with us today. So thank you very much for being here. <laughs> okay, thanks, Sonia. And I'm really happy to be here as well. So it's actually, it's nice to, to lead with a question like that to talk about my motivations and, and my background into whistleblowing as well, because I think like a lot of people, getting, getting into whistleblowing is almost accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was for me. So I, over the last decade or so, I've been working around banking regulation, banking compliance programs. So uh, working for firms like HSBC. Um, and I got brought across to Barclays in about 2015 to set up their whistleblowing program. Um, and we worked with you know, a great bunch of, of people at the time. Um, and what we did is we built a program that we knew was, was changing the way that people saw whistleblowing within the bank at the time. So we saw numbers start to increase in terms of people that were raising concerns, but substantiation rates remaining the same. Uh, and it's in the public domain that the, the CEO, Jess Staley, uh, got caught trying to unmask whistleblowers on, on two occasions, um, all in the public domain. Uh, the whistleblowing program actually caught the, the CEO trying to do that. Uh, he was forced to um, report that to the board and the board had to self-report that to the Financial Conduct Authority. Now, for me, to this day, a whistleblower is actually still protected and somebody who raised concerns in good faith is still protected. Uh, and on the back of that, I thought, 
this is fantastic that it doesn't matter whether you're you know a junior person in an organization or a senior person in an organization. We've built a program here that has controls that prevent damage, prevent wrongdoing. So if you look at it from a commercial perspective, Barclays by self-reporting to the Financial Conduct Authority as well avoided the fine because they met their controls and the fine was put onto the CEO. So from an investor perspective, things have worked. From an ESG perspective, things have worked because you're talking about your governance is working, uh, sustainability of, of profits is working from that perspective. So it was a real win-win situation. But then starting a, a firm after that and talking to people who have been whistleblowers, talking to firms who've benefited from whistleblowing, really see the good that, that it does, you know, in, in the, you know, not just the, the corporate world, but in, in the world of, you know, government and the world of NGOs as well. And I think one of the things that we see is when you hear about whistleblowers in the media, you're, you're inevitably hearing about the things that go wrong because the things that go right never make the media. And we get to see that and we get to help people in that space. Um, and it's so fulfilling to see that, you know, thank you, you helped us to prevent an internal fraud that would have cost us this much money, or you helped us to, you know, unravel a case of bullying harassment on the other side where we could have lost some staff. And so we get a lot like that. And to me, it's, it's really gratifying to see that people are starting to take whistleblowing seriously and to understand what an important tool it is in the world of compliance and governance. This sounds very, very interesting. But And you're also there where people are interested and would like to have that, you know, support from whistleblowing programs as you offer it right now. But I see also, you know, it's, it's a cultural issue. And there are a lot of companies or organizations not yet being there that they are open to install such kind of whistleblowing process. So what are the biggest barriers you see in the work you do right now? So I think the, the biggest barriers are, a lot of organizations, especially smaller organizations, actually, tend to think that we know the people that work for us and they wouldn't do anything wrong. And it's quite interesting because the EU directive, which is going to be extended to organizations of 50 or more, is going to change that behavior because organizations will have to think about having a whistleblowing program in place. But often um, in good organizations, there are organizations that think they're good, and there's a slight difference sometimes, which we can come on to later on as well. A CEO or somebody that started a company 30 years ago and grown it up to a firm of 200 or 250 people, they'll say, well, I know everyone who works in the firm and they're happy and they would never do anything wrong. And they're the firms that we find probably come for your services, Sonia, after they've been mm -hmm. before later on. Um, you know, we're, we're more than just an insurance policy. Um, one of the things that I love about whistleblowing is it is a bellwether of, of the um, culture of your organisation mm -hmm. as well because if people are comfortable speaking up, then you know you've got a good organisation. People will often talk about having an open door policy and that we listen. But whistleblowing is actually, it's, it's a real world test of that as well. And I think, you know, you can look at organisations where people do speak up and think here's an organisation where people are confident, where there's transparency and where there's trust. And that's a good organisation to work with or to consume with. That's a really good one. You know, it's really proving the culture of a company. Absolutely. Um, so I think that that's one of the biggest barriers other barriers at the moment are costs. Um, I think a, a lot of organisations think about the cost of, of setting up whistleblowing channels or how many people that they need to have. And it's, it's actually quite interesting that whistleblowing delivers return on investment. So we often talk about the, the moral benefits and the ethical benefits, but there's a real return on investment as well. So in the same way that firms would spend quite a bit of money on fraud detection software, for example, or anti-money laundering software, um, investing in, in a whistleblowing program, it's actually got a much smaller startup cost 
that can potentially have a very large return uh-huh. on investment. So, you know, Sonia, you'll be familiar with some of the statistics that I'll give now, but we we work closely with ACFE. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, um, 43% of internal frauds are identified through internal speak-up channels. Uh, the average cost of fraud is about $1.5 million US dollars, and an average fraud is discovered, I think, six months earlier if it's um, discovered via a whistleblowing channel. So let's just do a little bit of maths on this. And my maths was never great, so I'm going to round my numbers up here. Uh, but if, you, if you're a firm of 250 people, Based upon George Washington University statistics, you're probably going to get one concern raised every couple of months on average. That's not a lot of concerns. You don't need to have a full-time whistleblowing team. You just need to have some well-trained people to be able to review and just make sure that your channels you know, haven't been used overnight or if they have, that they know the right things to do. Now, if in the course of one decade, you prevent one fraud, and that fraud is an average cost of 1.5 million US dollars, uh, you're going to get a very big return on investment because actually it takes less than point, I think, a zero 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 five percent of one person's time over the course of a year to actually run a whistleblowing program in conjunction with ISO thirty seven thousand and two standards, which I can also um, outline in a moment as well if you'd like. Um, it's next to nothing to actually run that program. Uh, it's not expensive to set up, and if you prevent just one fraud over a decade, you've got a return on investment of in the region of you know fifteen hundred times, or you know maybe greater. Absolutely, and that's the reason why I think you know there are both emotional barriers and cultural barriers, and it's it can't be the investment as such. No, it's just not the investment, but I think it's a perception as well. Mm-hmm. And I think thirdly, it is a perception of what whistleblowing is so that that continues to change. But a lot of organisations see what's in the news and they'll see that somebody has leaked some information out to the media and whether that's in the public interest or not is not for me to um, opine on. That's for the courts to opine on. But what they see is and what they perceive is that people are going out to the media or, or people are trying to damage our reputation or people are trying to damage our brand. And therefore, there's a mistrust of whistleblowers. And, and culturally, that's been going on for quite some time since the Second World War and afterwards with informants and collaborators. And and what we're trying to do is, is really change the, the perception on what whistleblowers are because whistleblowers within an organisation that values whistleblowing as a function, they're loyal, they're trustworthy, and actually they're your first line of defence. So we look at it from, our, you know, from an um, IIA three-line model mm-hmm. as well. And all of your people, if you actually have an effective whistleblowing program, apart from being loyal, apart from being trustworthy, they're a part of your three-line model. Extremely yes. cost-effective. Absolutely, and you know when they come down to the third, uh, the three lines of defence as well. What you mentioned right now, um, you were also part or one of the drivers when you created or when the new um, standards were created from ISO. Would you like to outline a little bit on that? Because I think this would also be very interesting for our listeners right now. Because having your expertise um, in that new standard, I think it's very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So I think. Um, the, the world of standards is something that I think a lot of people, until they get involved in it, don't you know, fully understand or comprehend. Um, and I was surprised when I heard that they were just about to start building a standard for, for whistleblowing. I had no idea that you could do that. Um, so I got involved from the very start. And you know, it was lucky to work with such a, a great group of people who I, I now work with as well, including uh, you know, Professor Vim van der Kerkhover uh, and Carolina Munoz and, and Sam Shaw, who are all a part of, of my organisation now as well, mm-hmm. representing different parts of the world. Building a standard is about compromise. It's about understanding of the subject matter expertise. 
And there's a lot of dedication from a lot of people. So there are over 163 people from about 60 nations were involved wow. in the building of this standard. And we gave our time and, you know, we our, our cost into meeting in different locations twice a year for weekly workshops. And there was some robust debate. And, you know, how do you build a framework that is going to be applicable to firms of all sizes, all organisations, and within different regulatory regimes mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. from legislative perspective to a regulatory perspective as well. And so it's, it's building something that's fit for purpose to help organisations set up an effective whistleblowing program that can be aligned to whatever sector they're in, whatever size they're in, or whatever laws or regulations that are subjected to. And it's, it's an absolutely fascinating pro- process. But what comes out on the other side is, is a fantastic, really, really important guidance document, I think, for organisations that want to prevent wrongdoing um, and it ties into some other standards as well. There's a lot of synergies between standards on governance and compliance and bribery, and there's new standards being built around fraud, which you may be interested yep. in as well, uh, and internal investigations. And it's, it's so timely right now with people looking at ESG. But you know, going back to the standard, I think the things that are important is that so many people put so much time and effort into building these standards, and what we've got now is something that really signposts what global best practice can look like from a whistleblowing perspective. So whether you're subject to Sarbanes-Oxley or whether uh-huh. you're subject to the Public Interest Disclosure Act in the UK or the EU Directive or the new laws that have been coming through in places like Australia, um, I think Malaysia, Indonesia, um, this is applicable. And it really gives you if, you, if you can demonstrate that you're working towards that best practice, then you as an organisation will, A, achieve the benefits of effective whistleblowing, but B, you'll also have a defensible position should people come and say, well, we're going to speak to the media or if the regulators want to come in and take a look at your practices as well. Wow. And I'm really, I'm sure that you are also going to share the link um, to that directive with us that I can also put it to our show notes because I think it's very interesting also for our um, listeners right now because having access to that and also knowing that you were the expert supporting them doing that. And as discussed already in advance, it would be great if um, you are also approachable for our listeners because I'm sure you could really bring in a lot of additional values to them. Yeah, absolutely. We're more than happy to. And for people who visit our website, we also provide a free policy that's lined to ISO 37002. Oh. So, you know, we're, we're happy to, to share the information that, that's been given there. And, and we're, you know, f- from a whistleblower perspective, mm-hmm. we really want to prove that, that whistleblowing is cost effective and it's valuable and it supports your ESG agenda within an organisation. Uh, we spoke before the call about the alignment yep. and for prevention, you know, and we, we we had a really good conversation, I think, for the listeners, uh, just about, you know, we, we both prefer prevention to cure when it comes yes. to this. And whistleblowing is, is such a fantastic tool for prevention. It really is. It is a key element. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's also what I would like to take up right now. It's not my last question, but the, because my question I have right now is really, what is your own passion and also maybe experience you had as a person when it comes to whistleblowing? Would you like to share some, some elements with us or is it too personal? It would, I think it would be interesting because, you know, yeah. we are all humans out there and we have some kind of experiences in the past. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been here. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's one of the things. So I, I am genuinely passionate about whistleblowing and, and people often roll their eyes or give me a strange look. Um, so it, this this is an audio conference, but it's, it's nice to see that you're not rolling your eyes because we can see each other as we no. talk. Oh, <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I I listen at the moment as a lot of organisations talk about uh, LBGT or they talk about um, 
you know, diversity, inclusion, as they talk about the environmental factors. A lot of people talk about ESG, but a lot of that is is flag waving. Um, and, and one of the things that I'm really passionate about is that organisations that have a, a true ESG agenda, for example, are going to be profitable organisations. They're going to be organisations that deliver genuine benefits for their clients, their customers, their end users, be that a for-profit or be that a government organisation or a not-for-profit or a charity. We want these to deliver to the people that they're trying to deliver to as well. And one of the things that I see with firms that have whistleblowing, whistleblowing sits firmly within the G of ESG and also has uh, channels for supporting the environment and sustainability too. So it really sits underneath that as, as a you know horizontal to the verticals, if you want yes. to look at it that way. I really want to prove over time that as, as you know, we're going through these phases of talking about doing the right things and being the right people and including everybody and looking after the environment, that we can prove that there's a real economic value as well as the ethical value within that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, from an investment perspective, longer term, that people will look at organisations that don't just wave the flag about this, but can genuinely show the the measurables or the tangible benefits of being an organisation that has good governance, be that through fine avoidance, be that through increase in value of your reputation, customer retention, the cost of staff turnover, uh, you know, staff satisfaction surveys and ratings there. All of those things lead to profitability or better use of money if it's state money, for example, really passionate about bringing that to life in a more meaningful way because for me this isn't just about ethics you know it it is ethical it is about doing the right thing but i want to prove that doing the right thing is also good for you and not something you have to do because people are telling you to do it absolutely and you know for me it's the competitive advantage you have at the end as an organization and you know why not investing in my competitive advantage and with having a whistleblowing process and the whistleblowing um, culture also implemented um it really helps on all these different um, areas you, you mentioned right now before. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think uh, yeah, controls and governance in particular have done well, enable mm-hmm. better internal organisational <laughs> operations. And that's that's probably a whole different conversation as well, because there's so many ways that organisations can get competitive advantage. Uh, but having whistleblowing is, is like that magnifying glass on your organisation. Where, where are our hotspots at the moment? Mm-hmm potentially go wrong because it's more than just a channel for people to be able to call up and say I'm concerned about something when you're reviewing it on an annual basis as well what it can do is it can lead to areas where there's maybe a a control weakness or maybe an area of the business where people aren't feeling quite as comfortable or um, trusting in the business as they were beforehand for different reasons there's a lot of MI a lot of intelligence you can Mm -hmm. get out of actually reviewing your whistleblowing program that goes beyond just you know whistleblowing that goes to the wider organization as well and you know that's exactly what we also do with our clients you know thinking like a fraudster this means that you know our internal people they have so much knowledge and they exactly know what's going wrong and taking that that knowledge also to make our organization better it's exactly what you need to have you don't need to have the external people telling you what's going wrong you have the knowledge already inside the firm and that's yeah. what I, we i think we both would like to bring out and um bring to the table to make it to to bring it to the next level yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, things like fraud prevention, things like, you know, detection of wrongdoing, it really is for everyone. So when we talk about that first line of defence, you know, be that that really is your people. So if your people can help to identify potential fraud or other potential wrongdoing as well, uh, you, you know, you, you've really put yourself in a strong position as an organisation. You don't need to keep coming to us. You know, we, we, we'll quite happily take your money. 
Um, but that's actually not why we're here. And I say that a little bit tongue in cheek. You know, we, we are organisations, but actually, you know, what what we want to do is is we want to prove that this is is cost effective to do in house for organisations as well. Because Absolutely. They so, can, be. You know what, Andrew? We have so many topics to discuss, and I have just one question to you: Would you be happy, or would you also offer us your time for another for another session? Maybe when also our listeners could hand in some questions in advance that we can go through all the, um, that questions and have such kind of, you know, a learning session together um, instead of, you know, because now we had a great introduction and I think we could go on for, for, um, for hours. <laughs> but you know, not yet seeing our listeners, but I know quite a few of them. I think they would be very interested also sending you some questions that we can have the answers from your side. Yeah, I'm absolutely more than happy to to field any questions that come through as well. So to me, this is such a fascinating conversation. So if I can share the knowledge, I'm more than happy to. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much, Andrew. And um, I hope, you know, I wish you all the best now for the next few days, weeks and months. And, and I'm sure we are staying in contact, waiting for the questions our listeners have. And then um, just schedule the next um, session together. Thank you very much, Andrew. It was such a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks, Sonia. This was another episode of the Human Factor Corporate Integrity Matters. And as mentioned before, if there are questions with regards to whistleblowing, let us know and we are scheduling the next episode together with Andrew. Following the motto, Corporate Integrity Secures and Empowers Individuals and Organizations. Thank you for listening. My name is Sonja Stirnemann and I'm your host. Stay curious, actionable and a role model. Take care and goodbye. Would you like to learn more, meet peers and getting qualified? So visit the website Corporate Integrity Concepts or Corporate Integrity Academy. Or do you think this podcast could be interesting for someone you know? Sharing is caring and we are always happy to welcome your peers to our community. And if you like this episode, subscribe and don't miss any of the future ones. The show notes are, of course, enriched with relevant information and your connection via any of the social media channels is highly appreciated and will be answered. Promised. And please do not forget, topics of your interest or interview partners are highly welcome. Just send me a note on any of the channels you know.